Well, we are uh, certainly glad to have been singing uh, together with you. Um, and that's just a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Our praises will be continuing forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's something that we look forward to. As we reflect on the Christ's seven sayings from the cross, Maurice Roberts writes this. He says, whenever we looked in the Gospels, no single sermon, phrase, or even syllable appears in the mouth of Jesus, which could be called unprofitable. What a wealth, rather, we have of weighty doctrines from his lips. What an encyclopedia of theology. What a commendium of holy living. What a book of quotations. What an anthology of edifying and immortal sayings, stories, parables, and prophecies. If a character is to be judged from mere words, then we have here another reason for falling down at the feet of Jesus. And as Jesus hung there upon the cross, we're going to look at the seven things that he said as he ended his earthly life. We're going to, just for the sake of time, we're only going to dip into this vast ocean of truth. And our prayer is that we are like that centurion that we read about at the beginning, who watched the crucifixion, who heard what Jesus said, who watched the action, and he was filled with awe. And he exclaimed, truly, this is the Son of God. And as we think tonight, for those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, hopefully this will continue to strengthen and undergird your faith in him. And for those of you who do not yet know, may tonight be the night where you come to trust in Jesus, that he took your place. Tonight we're briefly going to look at each of the seven sayings. I know many of you guys are like, oh no, seven sayings. I'll keep it brief, I promise. We'll start with, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As we think back, I'm sure many of you guys are automatically thinking right back to Psalm 22. When, when, the, when the psalmist writes, Many bulls encompassed me, the strong bulls of Bashan surrounded me. They opened their mouths wide like, ravening, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted from my breast. And as we saw earlier, as we heard earlier, as Jesus looks down from the cross, there he sees the men who conspired to put him there, the men who conspired to nail him on that tree, and the men who did that deed. And Jesus, in his pain and in his agony, as people are mocking him, telling him to come down, save yourself. The great irony is there that he had to stay there to save everyone. But as, they, as Jesus looked out and he saw them, he did like he just instructed his followers to do. And he prayed for his enemies. He prayed that God might forgive them, that the Father might forgive his enemies. And in the first saying of Jesus on the cross, we see forgiveness. In the second saying, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
as he's crucified between two robbers, I'm sure the words of Isaiah 53, 12 come to your mind. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many. And he makes intercession for transgressors. And as one of the men hanging there next to him begins to deride him and say, save us if you can, if you dare. He echoes the great irony. Are you not the Christ? It is the other robber, the other thief who's there, who rebukes the first and turns then to Jesus in faith. And we see even here, mere hours away from this death, Jesus welcomes this penitent sinner into his paradise. Here we see salvation. Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. Seeing his mother at the foot of the cross, Jesus gives her a new son. He gives her John. He says, John, this is now your new mother. John, take care of her. And as Jesus himself prepares for his death, he makes sure to take care of his mother, not only physically, but also spiritually. To fulfill the law, Jesus provides again for his family. And here we see his great compassion. In these first three sayings, we see that Jesus is looking out of the crowds around him and slowly moving closer and closer to the people, to the foot of his cross. And in these first three sayings, we see Jesus' words directed at those around him. And in the last few sayings, Jesus is going to be directing his words again to his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's heart-rending words. It's here that he was, who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. Isaiah 53.11 states, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. It was in this moment that Jesus, that when he carried the weight of sin upon his shoulders... It was here when he was forsaken by God so that we might say, my God, my God, why have you accepted me? But as Christ hung there upon the tree, he suffered physically and spiritually. He experienced the full measure of the wrath of his father. He drained the cup down to the dregs, the cup of God's wrath, There was not a drop left. Here we see his anguish. Christ then from the cross says, I thirst. And you can see that his words here are so full of irony. I'm sure that you remember right back to the woman at the well. Remember the Samaritan woman where he goes to the well and he says, woman, give me a drink. And then she says, well, why do you ask me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And after a conversation, Jesus says, if you know who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. And she says, but Jesus, you don't have any water. You don't have anything to draw. 
from the well. You don't have any cups or any, any pitchers or anything. The well's deep. Jesus tells her that, if, that he provides the living water. That whoever drinks of me shall never be thirsty again. And this water that Jesus provides is a, will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The one who provides spiritual living water cries out for a drink. I'm sure also you remember the the text when when Jesus is telling the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the the rich man who died and the rich man being tormented in Hades. He calls out in in his torment. He desires that that Father Abraham send Lazarus just over to give him just just a tip of water, just a drip of water on his tongue. He, just, uh, he desires just a brief moment of respite from his pain. But Jesus is not attempting to alleviate his own suffering. But he is once more, as the verse says, fulfilling the so he might fulfill the scripture, it says, I thirst. In complete obedience to his father. And here we see Christ in his suffering. It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This sixth utterance suggests that from his birth unto his death, Jesus had perfectly obeyed the will of his Father. He says, it's my food. And in doing so, he fulfilled all of the law and the prophets, all that they required of him. He lived the perfect life so that he might be offered as the perfect sacrificial lamb without blemish. He endured the wrath of God. He perfectly obeyed his father. And now he must lay down his life so that he might take it up again. And here we see victory. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus addresses his father one last time here on earth. Having done all that Adam did not do, Christ has fulfilled the law, he's fulfilled the prophets. And now the son, in one more act of obedience, lays down his life, trusting completely in the promises of his heavenly father. And here we see assurance. The words of Christ are, are so profound in their simplicity. They can be understood by a child, and yet the saints will continue to sing and expound their profoundest depths and explore their profoundest depths throughout eternity. Friends, we live in the midst of a broken world. It's scarred and stained by sin. And the book of Romans tells us that that all creation groans and longs to be set free from the curse. And not only does creation groan, but those who have trusted in the work of Christ groan as well. We long for the day that we experience the full freedom and the glory of being true children of God. 
We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But we eagerly await our full adoption as sons and daughters, signified by the redemption of our broken, sinful bodies. And as, we, and as we wait in this world, it feels that the world around us is, is continually growing more and more hostile towards us. It feels that the darkness of this world is, is deepening at an alarming rate. But as we close here, I, I want to direct your attention real quick, just briefly, to the book of Revelation. Revelation 5. I know that we've been there before, and I guess that looking out there is probably too dark to read out there. But here in chapter 5, we don't have time to impact the whole scene, but we don't need to. Here in Revelation 5, we're in the very midst of the throne room of heaven. The four living creatures are there. The 24 elders are there. And John gives us a picture of what happens next. He says this, And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the back, Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven and no one on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. And I, that's John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he, he the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we, when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Just briefly, verse 3 and 4 tells us that a thorough search was conducted. No one was worthy to find the scroll, to open the scroll. No one could could look into it. There was no one worthy in heaven or on earth. Verse 5, then one of the the elders comforts John. He says, don't worry, it's the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one who's conquered, and he is worthy. And when John looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees the lamb who looks as though it was slain. And as the lamb takes the scroll, and as he does, everyone falls down before the lamb, and they begin to sing a new song. The song changes. The song is now this. The song explains what the lamb has done, why the lamb is considered worthy. It says, he was slain. He purchased a people with his blood. He made, a priest, he made them priestly kings to reign on earth. 
This is an astounding fact. Jesus, pictured as both the lion and the lamb, is worthy because he was slain. And because he purchased for God, by his own precious blood, a people of every tribe and every language. And his resurrection was God's stamp of approval on that finished work. Jesus is worthy because he willingly laid down his life, carrying out his Father's eternal plan of salvation for those, for mankind. For those of you who have not yet experienced the forgiveness of the Lamb, might tonight be the time where you turn and repent in faith? And for those of you who already have turned to Jesus, will you allow these truths to sink deep into your soul so that you might live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called? Oftentimes in the theater, when a person utters their last words, the curtain, so to speak, closes to end their story. You've seen this in the theater. The, the lights go out and the curtain falls. But we see that Christ, as he utters his final words, the curtain is torn wide open to reveal that the sacrificial lamb is the conquering lion. And may our response be like that centurion. Truly, this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you have brought us your truth through your word. We thank you that you have sent your Son to live on this earth, to die a horrible, shameful death, fulfilling the law, fulfilling those things, to pay the debt that we could not owe. We could not pay. We owed a debt we could not pay. And Christ paid it for us on the cross. And so, Father, we ask that even tonight that you will continue to work in our hearts to strengthen us and regard us, cause us to truly love your Son for who he is and to serve him in a manner worthy. We thank you for your wonderful work. Bless us in your name.